0: Good morning. Welcome, dear ones. So glad you are here this morning. I see Paula and Don. Good morning. Good morning. I see Dell and Susan and Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Like our beautiful new welcoming music? Does that sound familiar? Come sing a song with me. Hi, Robert. Hi, Judy. Just so abrupt, right? Glad you're here. By our presence here, we create this as a sacred space a quietness, not from technology, but with the readiness of expectation. Together, creating community, we offer hope and trust for so many things for connection for communion, for inspiration, for transformation, for healing, for wholeness, for words, for music, for celebration and consolation. We have created this space, bringing all of who we are. Let us be willing, however we are changed. Come, let us worship together. I am so grateful to be creating community with this congregation full of beautiful, creative, and loving people. I am Katie Kandarian Morris, Minister of the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Durango. In these tender times where we are experiencing trauma, confusion, and we are in action for a more just world, it's a balm being together responding to the world's heartache with our liberal religious values. Our determination to create and uphold community is an essential gift in times of trouble and strife. As Unitarian Universalists, we celebrate our radical roots and history as self-motivated spiritual people who think for ourselves and recognize that personal experience influences our beliefs more than anything. We join in the spirit of covenant, becoming people of love and trust. Let's continue now in a time of continued introspection uh, with words today adapted from my colleague Earl Holt. Moment of prayer is an invitation to be calm in the midst of the tumult of the world and our over-busy lives, to bring together thought and feeling, mind and spirit, and to find some center, some still point of perspective and peace. Here in this created sanctuary, the home of so many secret thoughts and hopes, fears and desires. May we feel free to look at ourselves with true honesty. May we be unafraid to face the decisions we have been trying to avoid, the doubts and questions it has been easier to ignore, the things we have tried to keep hidden, not only from others, but even from ourselves may we come to discover that there are resources within ourselves and beyond us that are as hidden but as real as our secret doubts and fears. New dimensions of the spirit within and without will be revealed to us as we confront ourselves honestly and come to understand that we are not isolated from the community of life and spirit, but that our soul's suffering connects us with the hidden suffering of others. May we come to see that in our deepest loneliness, we are not alone. And may we be emboldened by this vision to reach out to others in their need. And so finally to discover that to give is not only more blessed than to receive but that to give to others is to receive what we most need for ourselves. Let us hold silence just for a moment. And may it be so. Blessed be. Ashe. Amen. There is an informal tradition in UU congregations to take one Sunday and open it up for questions of the minister. It's good to receive some of these questions in advance so that they can have more of a thoughtful response, but I will attempt to answer a couple of the questions posed today too. If one stumps me or intrigues me, it may come up later in the year as a sermon on its own. The first question that I received earlier this week was this. The job of a minister is always big, always stretching, and in the particularly challenging time that we are in, even more so. How do we as a congregation support you as our minister and your spirits and the staff as you all help us to not only survive but grow? Thanks. And I won't begin with good question because that's the first thing that aspiring ministerial candidates say to the Ministerial Fellowship Committee when they get asked a hard question for which they don't know the answer. They say, Good question. Ministry is big, which is why it's often not referred to as a job. It doesn't have a beginning or an end. And even when not employed by a congregation, ministry still happens and the work still exists. The letter of agreement, the covenant between us, says the congregation looks to its minister for spiritual leadership and initiative, for assistance in setting and articulating its vision, and for professional and inspired performance and oversight of the congregation's programs in collaboration with the Board of Trustees and the congregation's committees and teams. That letter of agreement goes on to further describe the list of duties and responsibilities that include Worship, the ex officio role on the board, every other committee and team ex officio member, except for the nominating committee where the minister consults, and to act in the community on behalf of the fellowship, and to serve as chief of staff. Now, just add the phrase in a pandemic to the end of all those roles, and it's a lot. Circulating around various pastor conversations this past week was an article that came from the Baptist News. So with minor translation, it applies to all of us in congregations. The article's title, get this, too many pastors are falling on their own swords. Maybe that was why I was asked the question. I'll offer wisdom directly from the article. To congregants, first of all, it suggests, and I'll give you four things. Number one, first, accept that your church is not the church. Your congregation is made up of fallible people. Stop comparing your church to the one down the street, suggests the author. Second, accept that your pastor is a shepherd, not the shepherd. Yes, I am a leader with flaws. 3. Third, pray for your minister. You might think this one applies just to the Baptist, but I'd love for this to happen here. I'm going to quote the article. Pray for your pastor's mental health. Pray for the pastor's family. Pray for the pastor to flourish. Pray for God to give you understanding and patience with your pastor and to show you how to be a source of light and life during this time of death and darkness. Would it help you if I translate? I will go ahead and translate that last one. Focus your energy on your minister's mental health, her family, for your minister to flourish. Focus on receiving understanding and patience with her to show you how to be a source of life and hope during this time of trauma and loss. Fourth, for the next six months, be the best fellowship member you can be. Quoting the author again, if you don't like how things are going in your church, that's okay. No one is saying you should. He continues, I am suggesting, and this is the author here that's saying this, I am suggesting that you keep it to yourself until the pandemic is over. Then if you still think it's worth addressing, do so at that time, unquote. You may be able to see, hear my cat in the background. She has her little cloth mouse, so she's wanting us to hear her. There you go. I would love to hear about something you think is going well. That is something ministers don't often hear. So please make sure you tell me that. The article also gives advice to the pastor or minister. It They recommend getting a counselor. And I want to let you know that I've loaded up on a peer coach, therapist, and spiritual guide right now. It also suggests to see your physician if you're struggling. And the article recommends to the minister to do less. Delegate to staff, committees, or teams. And I remember that our staff is also right now on a steep learning curve with new responsibilities right now. And they also need to hear all of those things I hear. Thank you for asking the question. And I may be asking for help. I also encourage you to say no, if you feel like you've got too much. Some things may simply have to drop for a while. In these days, just before Labor Day, I'll be taking my last days of vacation that I wasn't able to fit in during July. And I will be back on September 8th. Okay, the next question came in kind of late, so I'm giving it a quick answer here it is. Why is QAnon attracting so many followers? It is a quasi-religious movement that denies proven facts, data, and scientific inquiry. What spiritual needs does QAnon meet that liberal religions don't? So I think two questions, and I'm going to try to answer. Not knowing much about it, I'm hoping that the questioner is wrong, that it's not actually attracting that many followers. But I believe that what attracts people to things like this is that even though its propositions are outrageous, it brings some level of certainty to people who are in deep fear. Liberal religion takes a lot more effort and trusts us to live with uncertainty. So I think maybe that is the challenge of liberal religion. Okay, I'm going to take a couple questions from the chat and then I'll close with another question that I received ahead of time. So I'm looking at the chat right now and seeing if I see anything in it, any questions. Okay, I'm a little bit surprised. I thought there would be a whole bunch maybe you're going to wait until after the service is over. Okay, no worries. Oh, here's one. How can I this is good. How can I answer when people ask if our church is a Christian church? Oh, you know, this one to me can have a number of answers and when I get some of these kind of questions, I usually try to um make my answer dependent on who's asking me the question. Like what do they really want to know? Do they want to know, are they Christian and are they welcome? Yes. Do we have uh, Christian roots? Yes. Um, are there Christians with us now? Yes. Are we solely Christian? No, we are welcome and opening to all. Sometimes uh, we say that, um, that's the part where we can say that we're covenantal rather than creedal. So it matters more that we, um, that we come together and that we do this, all of our searches together rather than, um, look, now a ton just came, I think. Okay. <laughs> anyway, that's that one. But yeah, I always think that's a hard one because I, it, depending on who's asking me, maybe I, I might ask them a question like, why do you ask or say more about that? Um, what kind of minister, what kind of relationship with other denominational, uh, ministers are you involved with during this pandemic? Um, the, the usual one that I've been involved with from pre-pandemic that we are still involved with each other, uh, a couple of Lutheran ministers, the Episcopalian priest, the, um, Catholic priest to some degree. He's been especially busy. His health is not good. Um, the Methodist minister, the, um, and the, uh, seventh day Adventist. Um, so we re meet regularly, um, at least once a month and sometimes talk to each other when it's in between too. um, Do you have any thoughts about having outdoor services at any time? Um, Yes, lots of thoughts. And um, right now we're waiting to hear back from the pandemic task force that will um, let the board, give recommendations to the board, the board will come up with some kind of policy for how we are allowed to gather um, on our campus at all. And um, and we'll we'll see what can happen. We're and I'll pass along more information when I know it. Uh, What? Okay. What's okay? I have two more. I'm going to do. I was only going to do two, but these are getting good. Um, What surprising positive effects have you seen in our congregation from the pandemic? Lots of newly created teams created out of need that have ended up being so strong that, um, that it's really great. So if you're saying, what teams? I'm not on a team. Um, reach out to Shannon and we'll figure out how to get you on something that feels uh, hopeful and, and helpful. Uh, Can you wear vestments for our Sunday service? You mean right now while I'm at home? No, thank you. I like I like feeling casual at home. In fact, it's occurred to me that I might not wear vestments even when we go back. Um and when I was um doing my internship before when and my internship was actually earlier on in my seminary training, um I I didn't wear vestments then either because it at the church where I had uh where I had been a member a longtime member Um, None of the ministers wore vestments except for on special events. And and the reason why I decided to start wearing them is people were making comments and sometimes criticisms about what I was wearing. So since you can only see me from here up, I'm going to just say I'm good. Okay, so that's for now. Who knows? Uh, I might change my mind. And sometimes um, maybe you'll share more with me later on why you might feel that is a need that you have uh, for me. In two weeks, I'm doing a little something that we recorded at the church and I wore my robe and stole. So I look more formal. I look more formal there. But right now, if you saw my feet, I don't even have shoes on. So uh, anyway, thank you. Um, I'm going to go back now. I love doing this. It's fun. I'm going to go back and finish with the question, the last question I received ahead of time. Uh, How can we as a people and a nation become unified again when we seem so divided at this juncture? Well, I think that most likely that's not going to happen right now. First, we will need to vote and encourage others to do so and do everything we can to make sure our votes get counted. And, you know, we have a lot of support for that effort with what's called UU the Vote. You might have seen that in our announcements or on our website. And if you haven't, go ahead and look and also look uh, on the UUA website. There's lots of information, um, but our social justice team right now at UUFD is getting involved in UU the vote and some little, um, local organizations that are a, a branch from that. So please reach out. Um, why don't you just go ahead and reach out to Bonnie Miller and she'll make sure that you get involved. I'm going to continue though, that, um, When a leader is stoking the flames of hatred and fear, we are going to naturally become more polarized. If we look at times in our history, the Civil Rights Movement, for example, or the Civil War, or even the founding of this nation, in each case there was a lot of pain and not a lot of unity. And Unitarians and Universalists took prophetic stands at each of these times, like in the second source, words and deeds of prophetic people, which challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love. Historian Jill Lepore points out the often narrow understanding of history. She says, when you think about political history, if you confine your attention to the enfranchised or to the office holders, you're going to have an incredibly narrow all white male history for decades. And it's an incredible distortion, she says. In times of political turmoil, we are then hearing, maybe for the first time, the voices of the disenfranchised. Each time, each uprising, each period, more than are welcomed in, more voices. Women, LGBTQ, people of color, indigenous people, immigrant voices. There is upheaval to challenge the status quo. When I revisit the timeline of historic events in Unitarian or Universalist history, I see how much healthy change and widening vision has come from periods of intense conflict, even in our own movement. It is an opportunity to really clarify our values, to name and act upon what we hold most dear. I see those values as a radical hospitality. A willingness to look at our past, to make direct and living amends for a more hopeful and embracing future. First, Josiah Royce, then Martin Luther King, called that aim the beloved community, but it does not come without a lot of hard work and disruption. Thank you. Maybe we can do this again sometime, and you'll ask me questions like, have you finally come to love your dog? Or do you like to hike any more than you used to? And until then, let's ask those big and small questions about our lives together. May it be so. Amen. Ashe, Blessed be.